So we work with 63,000 specialists and whenever they were managing a child who had either an early symptoms, so night blindness, nystagmus, and other signs of inherited blindness, we gave them a call to action. So again, this was driven through the clinical software. So whenever that child was in front of them, we provided an alert on screen to say, consider genotyping this child. So we doubled the diagnosis of an inherited retinal dystrophy and we doubled the genotyping testing. So that's optimizing care. And also I think we helped contribute to halving blindness in children. What better to do than save a child's sight? Conversations in Healthcare from Clarivate. Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Ward, Global Head of Life Sciences and Healthcare Thought Leadership at Clarivate. And I would like to welcome you to this edition of Conversations in Healthcare, which today will focus on patient centricity. Many stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem proclaim in their mission statements that they are patient-centric, that they place the patient at the centre of everything they do. For the past year, we at Clarivate have been exploring what good patient centricity actually looks like and what needs to be in place to achieve that goal. One of the key challenges is how to hear the voice of the patient. So with this in mind, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Grace Lomax, the co-founder and clinical director of Patient Connect, a business that was acquired by Clarivate at the end of last year. Grace, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's good to be here, Mike. So Grace, you uh, practice medicine in both the, the primary and secondary settings for many years. What were the challenges that you were encountering that prompted you to co-found Patient Connect in the first place? There were many challenges that I saw over several years that became very apparent that we weren't putting patients at the centre. There was a mindset of holding information and not sharing it with patients. There was a mindset of, well, I don't have information for you because that's a rare disease, therefore deal with it. And there was also a mindset of, I know best, rather than bringing the patient into the discussion and allowing time for discussion and the sharing of knowledge. And so I I wanted to change that. I, I was really keen that we should not only inform patients, because There's many uh, patient charities that produce material, but I wanted to ensure that we had information available for virtually all patients. And not only that, to ensure the information was relevant to them, what they need to know, and importantly, what they want to know. So we, we ran several studies into what patients would like to know and who they would like to learn it from. And one of the startling facts we learned was that 63% of patients worry that if they take a medication long-term, they will become addicted to it or tolerant of it, meaning they, uh, they have concerns that they will need ever higher strengths of medications or when they actually really need the medicine to work, it won't work. It's issues like that. What do the patients want to know? And what do they need to know? And we as a healthcare system in the Western world, we're not answering that. And still, unfortunately, to this day, too often are not not answering that for our patients. 
So one of the things that I understood in sort of doing the background for this uh, this podcast was that Patient Connect is very much trying to focus on unmet medical need. And yeah, I thought this was you know quite interesting because when normally when I hear people talking about unmet medical need, what they're generally referring to are diseases, disorders, or conditions for which there is either no or inadequate treatments. But I think as a doctor who has treated many patients, you've actually got a much broader definition of unmet medical need? Yes, I think the patient needs to be at the centre of that. And so the unmet need, in my eyes, is when a patient's knowledge is lacking or if their uh, ability to read or numeracy is challenged or if their medicine regimen is overly complex so that they they stumble and fall on adherence and persistence or of the fact that the side effects haven't been explained well enough to the patient. There are, you know, medicine is complex. And what we should be doing as a health system is ensuring that we keep the patient at the center and then work out from there. So what do they need to know? What do they want to know? And, and what are they likely to struggle with? So it might be prevalent side effect. It might be the fact that the medicine must be titrated or that the patient should understand that it's a progressive disease. There are many things that a patient needs to know and just passing across a prescription to them or saying come back in two months is not sufficient healthcare. And so by keeping the patient's needs at the centre, it means we can better support our patients and optimise their care. How does that sort of you know fit in? Say, for example, hypertension patients. Yes, so common. So hypertension. I mean, it's so common. It's almost normal. Um, you know, and also it's a silent disease, so patients don't feel unwell. Um, uh, and with hypertension, the um, the treatments are long term. There's no cure. You have to take a medication for the rest of your life. Uh, unless you change your lifestyle dramatically and get rid of the hypertension in other ways. And so the patients are left taking a tablet on a daily basis for something that gives them no symptoms until they have a heart attack or stroke. And so we, we know in the Western world um, that patients only take, uh, only collect half of their prescriptions. So in a given 12-month period, they are collecting only six or fewer prescriptions, which means the chance of them achieving control of their high blood pressure are minimal. And little wonder uh, that in this country, in Britain, 80% of patients on antihypertensives do not achieve normal tension. So that, that means only, the, the figure is actually 82%, only 18% of people achieve normal tension in Britain. It's 70% in wider Europe. Um, and, um, and so what we've done in the past, we've worked with many um, programs to help hypertensive patients by educating them around the need to treat, uh, informing them around the importance of regular use and no gaps in medication, and then helping them understand the benefits of taking it, so preventing heart attack and stroke. You know, one in two of us will die of cardiovascular disease. You know, there's a fact. And we know in this country and across Europe, there are more prescriptions for hypertension than there are people. 
And yet the health systems are churning out prescriptions without driving positive clinical outcomes. And so you know, by tackling the unmet needs of the hypertensive patients, we help drive up compliance. We've done this for millions of patients and we typically drive up the understanding and the adherence and persistence of the patients by 20%. Could you actually sort of walk us through the patient connect process, you know, in terms of actually how you interact with patients, doctors and pharmacists? Yes, certainly. So um, where we start from is the patient. So we do uh, research on patient level data, and then we look through research around the patient's needs and the bits of medicine that they struggle with. And so once we've identified the unmet clinical need, we then address those unmet needs at the point of care. So we work with uh, pharmacists and physicians across Europe and across North America. And we have over a million pharmacists and physicians in our network. So whenever a hypertensive patient presents to their doctor or their pharmacist, we provide a clinical alert on screen on the work software of the pharmacists and physicians, advising them of how best to support the patient who's before them there and then. So this is real-time clinical messaging to the healthcare professionals when they are caring for their hypertensive patients. And we advise them of how to support the patient who's in front of them and support them with their unmet clinical needs. You talk about sort of, you know, doing the research. How do you do that research, you know, with, you know, what patients are actually struggling with? Different ways. Uh, we, we look at patient level data so we can see where the bottlenecks in care are. We can see how non-persistent patients are with what are meant to be long-term medications. We can see where patients are being treated inappropriately. And then also we use peer-reviewed publications. So there, there's well over 100 million clinical publications and my clinical team will research specifically what patients are struggling with. So is it side effects? Is it common side effects? Is it complexity of regimen? Is it the fact that it's a silent disease or a progressive disease? Or is it the fact that the treatment has a latency of effect or only a partial effect? So we research what are the drivers of the problem and we research what are the unmet needs? Where are the bottlenecks in care? Where are the problems? And then we triage those to see what is the most pressing issues to address. And then we work out an editorial plan as to how we can best support the patients over time. Okay. So and can you give us some examples where yeah. you, know, you can actually sort of see a sort of genuine benefit that you've created? Yeah, definitely. So um, we worked, um, we supported 100,000 cancer patients and these were advanced cancer patients. So that means they were in pain. And the reason they're in pain is the cancer is eating into the normal tissue. And so these advanced cancer patients are given very strong opiates. These are, are really strong. They're 100 times the strength of 10 milligrams of morphine. They, they are the most strong opiates known to man. 
And uh, you'll, I'm sure, be aware that uh, with opiates, there's a prevalent side effect, which is nausea. And with very strong opiates, the side effect only becomes even more prevalent. So these patients are on the strongest opiates known to man. They're in dreadful pain, intractable pain often. And they're very, very likely to be nauseated if they try and manage the pain. And of course, with nausea comes the difficulty of keeping down your medication and having a quality of life. And shamefully, in this country, in, so this is the UK, only 3% of GPs prescribe something for the nausea when they are managing advanced cancer patients. So they prescribe the strong pain relief, but nothing for the uh, nausea and vomiting that that patient is likely to experience. And so we supported 100,000 patients at the point of care through pharmacy. So as they dispensed the pain relief to these advanced cancer patients, we uh, showed them a message on screen to say, this patient is likely to be nauseated. Either advise them to talk to the doctor about something to stop the nausea or offer them something over the counter to help them tackle the nausea, but don't do neither. And uh, the results were remarkable. We saw 52% improvement in use of antiemetics. So those are treatments for the nausea. And we also saw an improvement in use of the oral chemotherapy agents of 26%. So by managing the nausea, the the cancer patients were better able to take their chemotherapy agents and better able to manage their pain relief. Now, so that, you know, that is meaningfully optimizing patient care by addressing the unmet needs of the patient. Yeah, yeah. So how easy? I mean, you mentioned that was it a million sort of you know doctors and, and pharmacists are, are part of your network how easy is it for them to become part of that network and engage you know with it do they apply to join or do you reach out and invite them to join yeah we so we work through the clinical software systems to enable a, a greater reach and then the clinical software systems enable the physicians and pharmacists to either sign in or opt out so um, we do this via the prescribing and dispensing software of the healthcare professionals. Right, right. And, and it sounds to me like sort of the tools that you're providing, both doctors and, and pharmacists, it, it's enabling them to you know, shape their behaviours to provide better care. I just wonder, have you seen any evidence that these potential changes to you know best practice? I mean, you mentioned about the antiemetic drugs being given at the same time as the cancer drugs. Have you sort of seen, you know, how these changes in best practice are sustainable beyond the scope of, for example, that particular campaign? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we, we've run, um, I, I think, a, an ambitious campaign in rare disease in Germany where we were looking to identify undiagnosed patients. So th these are patients who aren't even on the radar of their physicians or, or certainly not with the correct diagnosis. And we work with 63,000 specialists across Germany. So, you know, an ambitious campaign. And our aim was to identify and find and treat children who are going blind. 
It's a rare disease, but it's a, a dreadful disease where children are born with a genetic disorder and they gradually lose their sight until they're completely blind. And that there are now treatments. And so if you can capture and spot the blindness soon enough, you can prevent further loss. And I think it should be called out. You, you cannot regain the sight once it's lost. So the sooner we can diagnose these patients, the sooner we can save more of their sight before they go blind. And until there was treatment, they completely went blind. The only treatment was to teach them how to read Braille. So we work with 63,000 specialists. And whenever they were managing a child who had either early symptoms, so night blindness, nystagmus, and other signs of inherited blindness, we gave them a call to action. So again, this was driven through the clinical software. So whenever that child was in front of them, we provided an alert on screen to say, consider genotyping this child. They may have inherited blindness because they're demonstrating the early signs of it. And we helped drive up diagnosis by twice. So we doubled the diagnosis of an inherited retinal dystrophy. And we doubled the genotyping testing. So that's, you know, optimizing care. And also, I think we helped contribute to halving blindness in children. What better to do than save a child's sight? Yeah, sure. So you established Patient Connect. You must have had an initial business plan. How has what you're doing evolved over time? And how have doctors, pharmacists, patients influenced that evolution? Mm, really interesting. How it's evolved is that we've ensured that we're able to support patients throughout the patient journey. So that is from first diagnosis in general practice to end stage care in uh, tertiary centers of excellence, through pharmacy, specialty pharmacy across Europe and the US. And so you know, we, we've grown our network to ensure that we're able to help patients from pre-diagnosis all the way to chronic care and end-stage care. What we've learned from patients is, um, we, I mean, we always measuring our campaigns. So something that has evolved for us is how, what are the best ways to measure a patient uh, or a population of patients? You know, how, how can we uh, ensure that we are supporting them? And you know, whether that's objective metrics or subjective metrics, how best to um, provide a control, you know, so the measurement of the campaigns has been a continuing evolution and steps of improvement for us, uh, as well as running the campaigns themselves. Yeah. And going forward, I mean, you know, what improvements or extensions to Patient Connect's activity are on the horizon? We're keen to work more in secondary care. So that would be the inpatient setting. And we're also uh, very keen to work in some of the developing countries because, of course, the unmet needs are even greater and more challenging in developing countries. The inpatient setting is exciting because in the last 10 years, there have been so many more new treatments for cancer coming through and for the rare diseases as we better understand genetic abnormalities, more and more rare diseases are becoming diagnosed and brought to the attention of the physicians. So I would say inpatient setting, 
but also the developing world. And this has been a fascinating discussion. I, I could imagine that you know when you first decided you wanted to be a doctor, you wanted to treat patients, but the sheer numbers that it looks like you're touching is probably unfathomable. You wouldn't have been able to achieve that in a sort of on a one-to-one basis. So I'm just wondering of all the sort of the projects that you've actually been engaged with, is there one that you actually take the most pleasure from knowing that you had such an important positive impact? Yes, yes, thank you. Um, so we've supported 80 million patients over hundreds of campaigns, so that's quite challenging. But I would like to call out a French campaign we ran. Uh, we worked with 21,000 GPs and pharmacists. We supported one and a half million poorly controlled severe asthmatics. Uh, and our aim was to get them better care because not everyone survives every asthma attack. And we, we saw the number of patients referred to a specialist improve by 21%, time to see a specialist come back down by 25%. And we saw an astonishing 350,000 fewer asthma attacks uh, over a 12 month period. You know, that is 700,000 fewer terrified parents. So, yeah, I think that's one of my standout favourites. Well, I think that's an excellent high note to, to, to finish our conversation. So, Dr. Grace Lomax, thanks so much for sharing your contribution to sort of the increasing empowerment of patients and ensuring that their voices are heard and are influencing their own care and so helping, I guess, achieve better health outcomes overall. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for the time, Mike. And I'd also like to thank the audience for taking the time to listen to this Conversations in Healthcare podcast. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Mike Ward, and goodbye. Please follow and listen to other editions of Conversations in Healthcare, where you can hear the thoughts of key opinion leaders from across the whole of the healthcare ecosystem. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or other podcast directories. Share, like, review, or join the conversation with your comments on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook by clicking on the share link.